You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. Hello, and welcome to Triviality, the show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Taylor Cook, and today we have a very special episode for you planned. Now, of course, I'm not your usual host, but since this episode marks my induction into the Five Timers Club, the guys were kind enough to indulge me. Speaking of the guys, it looks like we have a full house this evening, so let's introduce them now. First, joining me over Skype, we've got pop culture and film savant, the controversially back-tattooed Neil. How's the back feeling today? Uh, The back feels uh, completely clean. I can't confirm or deny that there is a tattoo there, so I'm doing well. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Secondly, we've got Wagner enthusiast and real-life Garfield the cat. Ken, how's the uh, where, Pope Priest? Where did all this stuff come? Where, where did my entire identity come from on this show? I have, I have no idea. All right. Next, we've got vexillology aficionado and fabled inventor of the term "um actually," Jeff and Ezer Scrooge. Any global economies we should be keeping an eye on right now, Jeff? Uh, I believe the Martian global probably economy. ours, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, ours is going to get real interesting. If it already hasn't. And last but not least, we've got sixth man from Michigan's Fab Five and suspected host from Westworld, Matt. How's the coffee pouring today, Matt? <laughs> Good as always. So a uh, great, great intro there, uh, Taylor. We appreciate having you back. You are in the Five Timers Club now, as your jacket uh, that you're wearing with uh, aluminum five on it has foretold. So you have the only actual triviality podcast five timers jacket yeah so that because he made it himself that's correct right. we don't I, uh, we don't have the please budget don't for email that. us other people who are in it technically. <laughs> so that that being said we know taylor pretty well at this point but just give our listeners a quick recap if you don't mind about uh, what your what your gig is yeah sure i'm a i'm a dental specialist specifically an endodontist um i just moved to pittsburgh pennsylvania a couple months ago and i mean besides quarantine and everything it's been really cool um yeah other than that not a whole lot just uh love being on the show and really happy to be here all right great well that was a great intro uh all that all that's uh needed to be said has pretty much been said right yeah except ken and i've never done this but we need to throw it to the rules guy the rules of the game are simple 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece at halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. All right, before we jump into uh, Taylor's game, which he's going to host, I think uh, Neil and I are going to team up today. And uh, we were talking about some of uh, Taylor's work before, and uh, we decided on the team name Burning Bones. Yes, uh, Taylor said that uh, one of the distinctive smells of dentistry um, is the smell of burning bone. So yes, I've heard that 3M says it's the only thing that can uh, permutate through a N95. Yeah, it's. I think it's also on that list of uh, ways that you can dispose of a body with uh, liquid. Uh, <laughs> but I, I didn't read that. But yes, that's correct. Jeff and Matt, you're on a team? Yeah, I guess. 
Matt, that's going to be what it is. Uh, Matt, Matt's been a little today, uh, oxygen deprived I was gonna right say, now. It's going to be smoke, what it so. is. Is like our team name, the mantra yeah. for 2020. I was going to say Jeff is a big fan of Dragon Force, and I live in California, so I thought we'd be through the fire and flames. Mm. That. That. I, I love and hate how on the nose that is. <laughs> All right, so if we want to toss it over to Taylor and get this started. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but uh, this is actually being postponed by a week because the original co- uh, recording had to be postponed because uh, Neil decided he wanted to do the ultimate Spielberg fan foodie challenge, which <laughs> I don't know if you guys don't know that it's you have to eat the West Chilean sea bass from Jurassic Park, the mashed potatoes from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and the chilled monkey brains from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm. Supposedly, that combination is supposed to give you the same kind of breath Elliot tells his brother he has in E.T., but instead, all Neil got was food poisoning. So wow. we're, uh, we had to delay this. But. Very detailed. So uh, was it was it, uh, it was the monkey brains that finally put it over the edge, right? I think it was the monkey brains because uh, I did not cook them to 165 degrees or, or higher. <laughs> yeah. I also did a different Spielberg challenge, and I ate two pounds of Reese's Pieces and also got some. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get it started. Um, so question one, round one. Category, the cake is a lie. In 2007, Valve released the game Portal, a personal favorite of mine. This game turns the lens on Shell, the protagonist, escaping an underground laboratory using the lab's own portal gun technology. What is the name of this now-defunct research company, a rival to Half-Life's Black Mesa research facility? Okay, we're going to lock in over here. Oh, man. Matt, I, uh, I'm pleased to tell you that this company does what they must because they can. This is Aperture Science. Yes, Aperture Science for us as well. All right, first question. Both teams getting points. Aperture Science, or I think the full name is Aperture Science Laboratories Computer Aided Enrichment Center. But that, yeah, they only call it Aperture Science. Great job, guys. All right, question two. Yakety yak. Over the years, Hennessy has been a lyrical favorite of many rap and hip hop artists. Hennessy is a brand of cognac, which is a variety of brandy hailing from the commune of Cognac, France. What color grapes are used in the production of the yak? Oh, wow. Oh, the only thing I'm going to be completely honest here, the only thing I can think of is uh, Jim Carrey and When Nature Calls going, yak, <laughs> <laughs> on the airplane. Um, wow, what color are the grapes? The rare sequel better than the original. Well, I know two colors of grapes. Do you just want to pick the darker of those two colors? <laughs> <laughs> I think there could be three colored grapes that we could be using. You think it's that easy? It's got to be a color of grape, so... All right, I guess we can go with that color. Why not? All right. Uh, Jeff, yes. what do you know about cognac grapes? I, I do not know anything about cognac grapes, but in thinking about colors, it looked like you liked Concord, but I, I think that's yeah. more of a species or variety than a color, right? The only thing is I think of Concord is I think of the... There's a, a pair of Air Jordans that the color is Concord, and it's like a grape... Um, I know that's a type of grape as well, but I don't, I don't know. That's I, what I just put right away. Um, so, I mean, if you, um, as the drinker among us, I will trust you. Well, this, I mean, I usually drink, uh, cognac after it's been refined from the grape. So I, I'm not too familiar <laughs> with the grape color <laughs> of its origin. Um, I think, I think maybe just go with purple then. Hennessy's a it's a dark liquor. I don't think that matters. I think, but maybe uh, maybe it's like the purple or you don't think it's like red, a, a green or a white grape. Yeah, because I think that's I, don't, I think that's too light. So, okay. all right, you purple. Go purple. We're going with red mm-hmm. grapes. So actually, they use white grapes in oh. the production of oh. cognac, which surprised me. That, yeah. And a little bit of a trick question, but I just thought that was a cool one. I'm um, kind of surprised that there's any that. grapes in cognac, to be honest, because I have no idea what it is or tastes like. So, Matt, have you ever had the, or Taylor for that matter, have you ever had the Incredible Hulk, equal parts oh, yeah. Tennessee and Hypnotic? I haven't, but that sounds awesome, actually. It's not awesome. Um, so <laughs> it's, the, the Hypnotic is like a, it's a light, like turquoise blue and when it's mixed with the hennessy which is like a dark color it turns green and uh it will and like hypnotic's delicious but this thing will this you'll you'll lose a couple days so i i would i would stay clear and you'll get very angry (laughs) yeah i've I've had hypnotic 
I've had them both individually, just not mixed, but mm. I can I can see that being dangerous. <laughs> All right. Question three. Let's bash. Released on May 23rd, 2019, The Lonely Island's unauthorized Bash Brothers experience was released on Netflix as a, quote, visual poem accompanied by a studio album released the same day. The 30-minute long video chronicles the proverbial Bash Brothers in a World Series run season. For 10 points, tell me what two professional athletes were nicknamed the Bash Brothers, and for an additional five, tell me what season was focused on in the film. Uh, Ken and I are going to lock in over here. Uh, the only Bash Brothers I know are from D2, The Mighty Ducks. So, okay. so it's it's uh, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. And there's a lyric in one of the songs where I think he says, the year is, I think it's 1990 or it's 1989. And I'm, I think, I think it's 1990 would be that for the bonus. Loved this uh Film, I guess you'd call it. Uh, music I like videos. how you said that. Love this film. Love this film. Uh, it's so weird having the mask on doing this because I, I feel like a different person other than the mask <laughs> that I normally wear. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yes, Mark McGuire, uh, or as I like to call him, Marcus McGuire, uh, and Jose Canseco. Um, as you like to call Jose Canseco. <laughs> as I like to call Jose Canseco. Um, as Matt said, I'm a little confused about the year. Um, so I wrote down, and it's just the, the hip hop's getting in my head because I'm thinking of Once Upon a Time in 94, like that. So it's not 94. And I'm also thinking of Public Enemy going 1989. But uh, I don't know, Ken, if you're okay with it, I think maybe we'll just go 92 and split the difference. Sure. All right. That's our answer. Okay. So both teams saying Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, um, and both teams are getting points there. The year is actually, as Matt was alluding to with the lyrics, 1980 Ocho, the year of the mm. Lobo, is yeah. the lyric. It's 1988. So mm. um, not too much of a spoiler. I mean, I know it did happen, what, uh, 32 years ago, but they lose in 1988, which is what they focus on, and then they go on to win the World Series in 1989. But the, uh, the film's about 1988. Cool. Question four, etymology, now considered to be an antiquated term quote, third world countries have been colloquially considered to be countries that are impoverished or underdeveloped, mostly by Western standards. Developed during the Cold War, what does the term actually consider to be the defining characteristic to set apart countries considered first and second world from third world countries? Okay, we will go ahead and lock in kind of with a guess here. I kind of remember hearing this in my, uh, you know, in my studies many, many years ago, but... (laughs) Lord knows I can't remember. When you were so. backpacking across Europe and sure, yeah. writing uh, Sun Also Rises at French cafes. That was me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was trying to think. So you, when you think of underdeveloped or developing countries, you think of, um, I think the worst ones tend to be ones that are what, politically instable? Mm-hmm. And then you have like industrializing, more stable countries and then like you have like your well-established industrialized democracies tend to be what you'd consider first world so that sound about right yeah yeah i texted you industrialized because i think that that's a catch-all whether a nation is either industrialized or it's not um regarding kind of all of those buckets um it's it's kind of a catch-all term does that make sense or yeah uh i like that Okay, so we're going to lock in with industrialized. Matt, come and do us live from the uh, air vents at Nakatomi Plaza. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, my furniture is coming next week, I swear. Yeah, Matt just moved, so he's sitting in an empty room. Eating Chinese food out of the box. That is incorrect. I'm actually standing over my sink because I don't have any chairs or tables. (laughs) That sounds comfortable. (laughs) That sounds bleak. I have an air mattress, though, so things are going well. Yeah, much better. Um, like the divorced but... dad's, like, starter pack. <laughs> With my hot dogs thawing in the kitchen sink. Neil's dying here. <laughs> I was going to cut that because Neil loved it so much. I'll leave it in, uh... I think. Um, we're going with uh, form of government. Okay. Um, so, may have to make a little decision here. So, uh Jeff was kind of on the right track at one point. So the answer is actually first world countries were aligned with NATO and second world countries are aligned with the communist bloc. So if you're not aligned with either of those, you're considered third world. So it's more of a political no thing. Points. So No points. No, yeah, so no I'm not going to give it to the industrialized, but I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about the government thing. But I feel like since it's not as like... No, because it's, it it's about, about politics, it's about it was just allyship, about... Yeah. Yeah. 
So, Taylor, uh, according to your research, those, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Mark McGuire from the previous cr- uh, question, he was underdeveloped. Is that correct? <laughs> he was overdeveloped. But at once was underdeveloped before oh, he yes, was industrialized. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Question five. Maybe it's something in the water. Receiving a staggering 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2008 film Semi-Pro was not Will Ferrell's best received movie. However, I think it had some pretty standout scenes. One of my favorites is when owner, head coach, starting power forward, and pregame announcer Jackie Moon of the Flint Tropics claims he's never thrown up in his life. As a response, point guard Ed Monix asks him if he's ever been punched in the jejunum, and then proceeds to punch him, causing Jackie to throw up in Ed's face. The jejunum is the middle section of the small intestine. What are the other two sections called? We can lock in. Also, I think that movie is underrated. I think it's really funny. (laughs) Agreed. I've actually never seen this one. Um, I don't know. Other parts of the podcast first. I know. Um, All right. So you're locked in, Jeff? Um, Yeah, I'll confirm with Matt, but I'm pretty sure I got it. I don't don't have anything to offer. All right. So I think one of them comes into play because it was an answer in a previous game, and it's duodenum. Oh, yes. The duodenum, yes. But I don't know what the third one is. Let's see. The duodenum, the Jejunum. Jejunum. And the... Duodenum, jejunum, and... I'm just trying to think of if I had an ailment in this area, which is very possible. Trying to see (laughs) what I would have Googled. What what did you blow out when you had food poisoning? (laughs) Uh, Probably lots of things. The perineum, the the pudendal nerve. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I don't know. Um, (laughs) Jesus. uh, I don't know. All I know is that I I haven't spent enough time on the pelvic floor dancing because it's very weak. Um... I don't know. Uh, the duodenum I like, and then how about the? Uh, it's it's correct incorrect. The duodenum. The pudendum. <laughs> the pudendum. <laughs> That's what we'll lock in with. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so burning bones locking in with duodenum and pudendum. Okay. <laughs> it's a real thing, I think. I'm happy we got duodenum. Uh, I be- yeah, I'm gonna go with duodenum now, even though I I didn't know how to pronounce that two seconds ago. And I believe the other one is the ilium. That is correct. The ilium is the other one. So um, through the fire and the flames, getting ten points. And uh, at the half at the half round marker, um, burning bones coming in with twenty points, and through the fire and the flames at thirty. When Neil was having his bowel issues last year, it was the ilium in the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> it was the toilet was my siren, just calling me. Oh. Okay, now that the poo joke's out of the way, <laughs> you can't, you can't promise that. No, it, it, it's gonna it's gonna keep happening. I already know. Just like when Neil was having his <laughs> issue, it never stops. Uh, well, it, it doesn't until you're all out. All right, question six, please. Question six, capital T that rhymes with P that stands for pool. <laughs> If you transpose two letters in the name of the deepest lake in the United States, you'll get the name of this town, which is the only town in Iowa west of the Missouri River. Unsurprisingly, the lake is also west of the Missouri River since it's located in Oregon. All right, we are going to lock in with just a quick guess here because this is a little difficult for us, and I don't really know any Oregon lakes. So, All right, Matt, my thinking here is that the, the lake in question is Crater Lake. Yep, and that the only, one I do know. The only thing I could come up with when I changed the letters around was maybe Carter, Iowa. Yeah, well, I think I think the town is Carter Lake, right? Isn't that like how it works? Oh, that could be. Yeah. So yeah, if you transpose the R and the A, because I, I I was thinking I was going through the same thing. Yeah. Where I was like, Akater? No, none of those work. So. <laughs> Yeah, that I was the only. Carter, thing I think Carter I Lake's sense. probably our best bet. Sounds good. We'll lock that in. Uh, yeah, we we didn't know. Uh, I wrote Crater Lake, but I couldn't remember if that was in Russia or the United States, along with Great Bear Lake. Uh, but I wrote down Dubuque. I knew some people from Dubuque, uh, just as a guess. That's what we locked in with. Okay, so Burning Bones locking in with Dubuque, Iowa, and to the Fire and the Flames locking in with Carter Lake, Iowa, and the answer is Carter Lake, Iowa. Um, Crater Lake being the the deepest lake in the United States in Oregon. Um, yeah, it's a cool thing. So actually, not only is it west of the Missouri, so it's technically kind of in 
Nebraska, but you also it's completely surrounded by Nebraska on all sides too. You have mm-hmm. to like drive through a part of Omaha, go into Carter Lake, and then get to the airport in Omaha. It's very mm-hmm. strange, but did the river move after they drew the boundary? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. after they drew the borders, I, I yeah, if you asked, that was going to be yeah the I, something about Knoxbow or something. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but the river moved. <laughs> Moving on to question seven: Who run the world? The first armed expedition led by a woman in U.S. military history happened during the Civil War when our heroine led a raid that liberated more than 700 enslaved people in South Carolina. Who was this incredible woman? Okay, we are locked in over here. For, for being a history buff, my Civil War history is impressively terrible. Well, if you're looking at impressive women in this time frame, is not Sojourner Truth usually an answer that we use around this time? Uh, I think she's a little later, later. but... I mean, or, uh, is Harriet Tubman too early? I think we're just thinking in the wrong direction. Mary Todd. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, we got nothing. I Abigail like Lincoln. We... <laughs> I looked at Ken. Uh, we had the same thought. Uh, I believe this is what they chronicled in uh, Cynthia Erivo's Harriet. Uh, so we went Harriet Tubman. Burning Bones going with Harriet Tubman and Through the Fire and the Flames going with Abigail Lincoln. The correct answer is is Abigail Lincoln. (laughs) The correct answer is Harriet Tubman. Uh, Good job, Burning Bones. You guys mentioned her, but yeah. No, it's such a cool story, though. Like, if you read about it, um, it's pretty pretty incredible. She basically turned into a spy for the Union and was kind of like uh, setting this whole thing up behind the scenes because she was like five foot tall and no one ever paid attention to her. She'd just dress up and... So you're Going saying she town. was Harry at the spy? As I said, the Michelle Trachtenberg reimagining was terrible. <laughs> we can move on. Okay. As you wish. That's the category and also a response to what you just said. <clears throat> According to Wallace Shawn, on the topic of wagers involving iocane powder, the most famous classic plunder is never to get involved in the land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a blank when blank is on the line. Fill in the blanks. I have recently seen this film, Matt. We can lock in. Blank. Let me worry about blank. All right, so these boys are locked in over here. I believe it's um, Sicilian and death, right? Never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. That sounds That sounds right. That's what I, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Okay, I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm, I, I was about to watch the, the Zoom rereading they did with most of the cast. So, When life is on the line, death is on the line. I think it's death. All right, we're good with Sicilian and death. I'm guessing he, too, is probably also surprised right-handed. But, yeah, it's never go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line. All right, points all around. I I just love that whole scene. It's so incredible. Well, the whole movie is, but um, I'm really glad you guys I saw it for the first time literally like three weeks ago. Did you enjoy it? Really? Yeah, it was not what I expected. All right, question nine, Protein. Although roughly 500 amino acids occur naturally, there are 20 commonly recognized due to their presence in our genetic code. Structurally, amino acids consist of an amino group at one end and a carboxyl group on the other. But what distinguishes them is their specific side chains, also called R groups. These R groups can range from very simple to very complex chemically, but all of them must contain at least one of which element? All right, we have an almost pure guess here, but um, we're going to lock in. It's just a little less than a pure guess. Okay, Jeff, do your thing. Tell well, me a science. I, I would love to tell you a science, except um, I don't remember chemistry that well from that long ago. Um, but carbon is your go-to because that's one of the building blocks of life. But do you think it might be nitrogen? Um, I don't think anything on this topic. Uh, I, I think... My gut says nitrogen. Uh, could be wrong, but I, I'm, I like, I'm I like good it. with it. Okay, let's go with your gut. Nitrogen, it is. And we're going with carbon for the reason that you said. All right, one group going in with carbon and one locking in with nitrogen. Um, carbon would be found in the carboxyl group, and nitrogen would be found in the amino group. But actually, the R group has to have at least carbon in it. Mm. So glycine, I believe, being the simplest of the amino acids, only has carbon, and then mm. the others have more complex side chains, some having uh, nitrogen as well, but carbon kind of being the link between those two end groups. Okay, nice. All right, and last question of the first round, number 10, is this heaven? Maybe. The Surf Ballroom, 
located in Clear Lake, Iowa, was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on January 27, 2009. This is largely in part to a concert played 50 years prior on February 2, 1959, which ended up being the last performance for a few of the musicians on the lineup. For 10 points, name any two of the four people to meet their end just over an hour after the show ended. For an additional three points, name all three musicians. And for an additional 100 points, name the fourth person. I'm trying to get the fourth person, Ken. Well, he he offered he offered a, a million, uh, what was it, 100 points for the last person? So I bet you it's pretty impossible. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't hear the 100 points. So yeah, then let's just go with those three. No, sit here all day and decide to go for the 100, obviously. Write <laughs> write a good write a good game. Write a good name on there for a fourth person, and then we'll we'll hope for Lucky Johnson. <laughs> okay, so the, right. this is the Buddy Holly crash, yes? Yeah, with Big Bopper. Big Bopper right? was the other one that we came knew up. I could crash like Buddy Holly. <laughs> wow, <laughs> no, I'm good with that. Uh, Big Bopper and Buddy Holly were the two that came to mind. I can't remember the other one. Ch- Chubby Checker. I don't know. Maybe he's alive. I don't think he's alive currently, but... Yeah, well, we're good with Big Bopper and Buddy Holly. Yes, we are. So we went with uh, Gary Busey, Lou Diamond Phillips, Carl Heinrich, and Big Bopper, or also they've been known to be called uh, Richie Valens and uh, Buddy Holly. Okay, so Burning Bones saying Richie Valens, the Big Bopper, Buddy Holly, and Carl something. Carl Uh, Heinrich, I I don't know. It just came to me. Okay. And then, uh, and then through the fire and the flames, saying Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper. Yep. All right, ten points to through the fire and the flames and burning bones, picking up that th- extra three for thirteen. The uh, fourth person was the pilot, um, whose name was Roger Peterson. It's, I mean, See, I, I think he should be mentioned as well because you know, yeah, I thought Carl, yeah. Carl Heinrich sounded in that time period, and maybe he was a you know an industrious man. I don't know. Sure. At the end of the first round. Burning Bones uh, looks like they have 63 points and through the fire and the flames at 60. So pretty close game so far. Nice. Well, uh, speaking of uh, Taylor being here today, we didn't mention up at the top, but he is a Patreon supporter and we very much appreciate that, Taylor. And you are uh, a brand new Dutch enthusiast. So, uh, thank, ah. yeah. So thank you very much for, for upgrading to that level. It's one of our new names. Uh, do you feel any different now that you're a Dutch enthusiast? Um. I feel more inclined to clog, and uh, my my desire to go to the Netherlands has never been higher. So yeah, I'd say um, I'd say I, I'm I'm happy to be here and happy to be at the Dutch enthusiast level. Well, thank you, and all all signs are pointing upward for you to get to the Netherlands. But uh, if you'd like to join Taylor and get some extra bonus audio content, including two Patreon bonuses uh, per month, a more trivia centric one and a more personality centric one, then you can join him over at Patreon.com/slash/TrivialityPodcast. Uh, and join in on the fun. All right, Taylor, uh, what is going on with today's swing round? All right. I uh, I thought a little long, a little hard about this swing round. I thought it'd be pretty fun. So let's see if uh, you think so as well. So this is a ludicrous featuring Nate Dog inspired swing round because I've got female friends in different area codes. So for this round, I'm going to give you a geographic location as well as another related hint. And I want you to tell me the three digit number associated with those clues. So every answer is going to be a three-digit area code and i'm going to give you the location that the area code is for in general and then as well as another hint okay. if that makes sense okay all right so number one denver also a music group that could be described as falling under the genre crunk core number two san diego or the finishing move of notable masked man ray mysterio number three chicago or the name given to the flagship beer of Goose Island Beer Company. Number four, Denver. Partial name of a, quote, premier high-end all-media entertainment conglomerate started with the money gained in a settlement after one of the founders was hit by Alexis. (laughs) Number five, Hawaii, an electronic drum machine released in the 1980s as well as a partial title of Kanye West's 2008 studio album. Number six... Cupertino, California, or the last three digits in J.G. Wentworth's phone number. Number seven, Michigan, or the studio responsible for such video game classics as Twisted Metal and Cool Borders. Number eight, Ottawa, Canada, or often referred to simply as the Monitor, this character from the Halo series was first introduced on a level named after himself, as well as the same level that introduced the Flood. Number nine, 
Mississippi, or who am I? The last three digits of Jean Valjean's prisoner number in Les Miserables. Number 10, North Carolina, or the additive conversion between Celsius and Kelvin. And a little bonus one, number 11. Geographically the largest area code in North America, but least population dense, this area covers three territories in the Arctic North of Canada, Northwest Territories, Nunavut, and Yukon. However, one resident must have received thousands of calls after her number was made famous. Poor Jenny. All right, we are going to discuss and we'll be right back. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Well, all the teams are back from both teams are back from deliberation. And so we'll quickly run through each one of those one at a time and give me the answers you came up with. So question one, Denver or the music group that a music group that could be described as falling under the genre crunk core. Yep. Um, sadly, I know this because of the crunk core band mostly, but also I used to call it Denver for my job and it's 303. Yeah, and I am not sad about it. I know it from the Crunk Core Band. It's 303. All right, both teams are correct. 303. What happened to Crunk Core, Matt? What, ha- um, what happened I mean, to what happened to Broken alive, Side? I would say. Oh, <laughs> I think it mostly side. became Mumblecore and then they started adding metal guitars to it. So, what I happened think to little... Breathe Carolina? Breathe Carolina, is that the They actually make just electronic music now and they're actually really big in the scene. Hey, there you go. You can make it as long as you change everything about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Improvise, adapt, overcome. All right. So number two, San Diego, or the finishing move of notable masked man, Rey Mysterio. We went with the 619. Yeah, his his son actually just hit this move at a recent pay-per-view. I believe it's 619. All right, both teams with Booyaka Booyaka 619. Both teams are correct. All right, number three. Chicago, or the name given to the flagship beer of Goose Island Beer Company. Figured this one might be a little uh, on the nose yep. for the group, but... On the beak, you mean? <laughs> on the yes. bill, 312. Yep, it'd be pretty hard for us to miss. It's all over the place. 312. Great beer. 312 is correct. All right, number four, Denver. Partial name for a, quote, premium high-end all-media entertainment conglomerate started with the money gained in a settlement after one of the founders was hit by a Lexus. You, you got to do the impression of the song. I don't remember. Entertainment 720 where dreams come, they, they come, come true. true. <laughs> uh, yep, uh, we also made our money the old-fashioned way and uh, we said 720. Both teams are 720, both teams correct. All right. Question five, Hawaii, or an electronic drum machine released in the 1980s, as well as a partial title of Kanye West's 2008 studio album. Yep, a lot of famous beats uh, made on this machine, uh, used for 808s and heartbreaks. We want 808. Uh, Shout out to Kesha. Don't know her personally. Uh, Don't imagine she listens to the show, but this is where I found out about the Roland 808. So we said 808. 808 is correct. She might listen to the show. You never know. What are we on number six? Cupertino, California, or the last three digits in J.G. Wentworth's phone number? 
Yep, we believe uh, JG Wentworth is 877-CASH-NOW, so we transpose now into 669. Uh, yes, we did the same, sang the song, got over it, and then said 669. All right, 669 is correct. And for any of those younger listeners out there who've only had touch uh, touchscreen phones their entire lives, at one point, every number corresponded with three letters or four, and that's what that's how you get the answer to this question. Number seven, Michigan, or the studio responsible for such video game classics as Twisted Metal and Cool Borders. Yep, this is about where we fall off with our correct answers. So we said uh, two, one, two. Um, yeah, this is one that I remember strictly from playing uh, PlayStation demos in around the year 2000. I believe it's 989. And 989 Studios is correct. This one, next one giving uh, at least one team a little bit of trouble. So we'll see how that plays out. Ottawa, Canada, or often referred to simply as the Monitor, this character from the Halo series was first introduced on a level named after himself, as well as the same level that introduced the Flood. Yeah, we had no idea here, and we just said 606. Yep, never played a Halo game myself. Uh, I just went with the uh, area code where I'm at now and said 310. Okay, unfortunately no points here. Um, Ken mentioned earlier this being his favorite or the best uh, level in any of the Halo games. It was definitely my favorite, and that would be 343 Guilty Spark. Or just 343 Spark. Question nine, Mississippi... Or who am I? The last three digits of Jean Valjean's prisoner number in Les Miserables. Matt had a pretty interesting way of coming to this question. Why don't you talk us through that, Matt? Well, I mean, the the only way I know this is that um, Sideshow Bob is the same prisoner number. Uh, and <laughs> his prisoner here. number was <laughs> 24601. So he said 601. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, 24601. So he said 601. Yep. 601 is correct. When when he got that that game day nine eight nine studios, I was like, no one's gonna get this. And then he gets that, and then he's like, oh yeah, sideshow Bob. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> Matt's yeah. a freak. He's been, we've <laughs> come to learn be, that Matt's a freak. If it can be tangentially related to the Simpsons, I have a shot at it. Which which almost everything is. Yeah, it's it's just like Neil's that's got the film. Of- Matt's got the Simpsons. <laughs> All right, question ten. North Carolina, or the additive conversion between Celsius and Kelvin. Yeah, we really didn't know, so we guessed two, two, one. Yeah, this is one I think you just kind of have to know. Um, I couldn't remember until I thought about it, and then I was like, oh, yeah, absolute zero, which is 273 below zero. So we said 273. All right. Through the fire and the flames, picking up five points, and unfortunately, Burning Bones is off by about 52 there. All right, and the last one, which I think, Hopefully it was a little bit of a gimme. Um, geographically, the largest area code in North America, etc. One rese- one resident must have received thousands of calls after her number was made famous. Poor Jenny. Yeah, we just said, uh, we just do the whole number, 867 867-5309. 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309? 867-5309
All right, and that would be Creep by Radiohead. Both teams picking up points. What if I was Lucifer? What would be the difference? I would think you'd have less stomach issues. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Or maybe maybe that's maybe that's how his his bathroom. It's just liquid fire all the time. It's just oh, that's where my God. acid reflux comes from. Uh, maybe he's just like, "Hey guys, Lucifer here. I'm just trying to start a podcast. <laughs> just trying to spread the word. Try to spread the bad Lucifer word." I think would definitely have a podcast. To be honest. All right. Question two: White girl wasted. All we're gonna do here is an analogy. You may know the phrase, ain't no laws when you're drinking claws, as popularized by YouTuber Trevor Wallace during the summer of 2019. If claws in the phrase is a reference to the hard seltzer company White Claw, then please complete the following analogy. Ain't no rulies when you're drinking blank. Note, I've been trying to popularize this phrase for well over a year now, so feel free to use it whenever you'd like. Ain't no rulies? Oh, we can lock in. Done. I got a I got a fridge full of them. Oh, can you uh, spell that? <laughs> I think it's I more about how it ru- sounds. Mm. He's saying rules, but he's saying it funny so it matches. Ah, whatever this is. Ain't no rulies. Ain't no rules. <laughs> this yeah. is gonna be a classic Neil. Yeah, overthink. Neil doesn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> it rhymes with the rulies. And it's Rulies. a beverage. Well, what, can, you, can you give me the origin of the word rulies? Can you repeat the ain't no rulies uh, thing? Oh, my God. No. I can repeat the whole There's question. There's literally like. nothing in the question. It's an alcoholic beverage that rhymes with rulies. <laughs> Warmer. Okay. Neil and I have no idea. We know it should probably rhyme with rulies, but uh, we just can't uh, can't get this one. Oh, this one comes in varieties of blueberry, acai, uh, wild raspberry, black cherry, and I forget the other one, but I believe these are Trulies. I think it also comes in uh, grapefruit, and yes, that is Truly Hard Seltzer, or in this analogy, Trulies. Uh, I have heard of that. I, I have never heard of that, so that I, that's why I was so confused. All right, moving on to question three, pain don't hurt. Having military units in the British Army since 1815, as well as units in both the Nepalese and Indian armies, this ethnic group is known for two things. The kukri, a forward-curving knife they wield, and their reputation for fearless military prowess. Such is their reputation that Field Marshal Sam Menekshaw was once quoted saying, If a man says he is not afraid of dying, he is either lying or he is a blank. Okay, so my first thought and what I texted Jeff was the Kurds. Um, I think that they're from that region, and I know that they're, they kind of are constantly fighting because they don't really have a place of their own, so it kind of makes sense that that's what they'd be known for. Uh, what do you think, Jeff? Um, Kurdish, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I don't know any better, and you're in the right region, so I'm good to lock it in. Okay, we're going to lock in with the Kurds. Sounds like a pretty good answer. Um, we weren't sure at all. Uh, he said uh, Nepal and India. Um, so we know, I believe it's called Urdu is a, a dialect that they speak in uh, India. So we just said Urdu, but we're not sure. Burning bones, locking with Urdu and through the fire and the flames, locking in with Kurds. The answer is actually Gurkha mm. is the name of that group. Yeah, the the Gurkha people. Um, ha- yeah, they've been in um, the British Army for what over 200 years now and uh they still have a pretty strong presence i'm if i'm not mistaken like having full units still Mm. um okay moving on to question four kind of the opposite of a twister from august 10th to 11th 2020 the Midwest was ravaged by a windstorm that destroyed 10 million acres of crops in the state of Iowa alone, which accounted for roughly a third of the state's agricultural area. What is the name given to this type of storm, which is classified as a band of storms that have wind speeds of at least 60 miles per hour, a storm front that is at least 250 miles long, and are maintained for at least six hours? The storm in this case topped 600 miles in length, covering nine states, and hit wind speeds of over 125 miles per hour, equivalent to a Category 4 hurricane. So I'm looking for the name of this type of storm. I remember specifically learning this word recently because of this, and I'm having trouble putting it together. I know for sure the first letter, though. And uh, we're just going to have to tap on this one. Okay. So they don't know. what. So I wrote down... Dorado sounds a little too much like Dorito for my liking, but it's that's the amount of syllables and it starts with a D. 
Let's just let's just get this over with and say Jason Derulo. Yeah, we're gonna say <laughs> Dorado. We're we're terribly close. I might need to make a decision here. So the answer is derecho. Tornado actually being Spanish for essentially meaning twisted. Derecho is basically Spanish for meaning straight because that's the way the uh, the storms move. Derecho is really close. Um, I'll give I think it to I think we're I'll generous. give it to. Yeah, because you were right. It starts with the right letter, um, has the same amount of syllables, off by like one letter. Not that big Very of a deal. Very generous. The next, uh, the next tie will go to uh, Fire in the Flames. Question five. South Park did it. In a 2001 South Park episode with a title that did not age well, a central plot point focuses on Timmy and Jimmy getting in a gruelingly lengthy fight in a parking lot. Most of this fight scene was actually a shot-for-shot remake of a six-minute-long alleyway fight between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David in what 1988 sci-fi action thriller directed by John Carpenter. The fight scene is regarded as one of the best film fight scenes of all time, despite being non-lethal for both characters. And so, so long. Yeah, it's very long and very... uh, It's boring. Very tired. They're very tired with each other. But we're lectin'. Me and Neil have obviously seen this. Yeah. Um, which which movie? This is the bubblegum movie, right? Uh, it's all out of something. Uh, He's here to kick ass. Possibly. I came here to bubble answer gum. trivia questions and chew bubblegum. Yeah. I'm all out of bubblegum. Um, I think this is called They Live. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I believe we're gonna lock in with They Live, and that might not be right, but that's what we're locking in with. And we're in with They Live. Yep, uh, it would be non-lethal for both characters in the fight scene if they both live. So they live is uh, is correct. The halfway point of round two, both teams picking up 30 more points. So Burning Bones brings them to 133 and Through the Fire and the Flames at 140. Oh, very close. High scoring game. All right, moving on to question six. Now, that's what I call crime. Andre Stander was one of the most infamous bank robbers in South Africa's history. Between 1977 and 1980, he robbed nearly 30 banks, stealing nearly $81,000 in today's economy. He was most notable for oftentimes robbing banks during his lunch break, ironically where he would return to work in what profession? All right, I had a sly guess on this, so we're going to lock in. Yeah, great guess over there. He's either a bank teller, so maybe he's like robbing his own place and then going back to work afterwards. Yeah. Or he could be he could be a cop. Yeah. No, I I like the idea that he's like a a bank person robbing banks. He's a bank teller. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna lock in with bank teller. We also said bank teller. So I heard it mentioned, but unfortunately, no points here. He was actually a police officer, and he would often be the first on the scene investigating his own crime scenes, um, essentially covering it up. I kind of apparently there was a movie about him, so I kind of thought Neil might have seen that. I think I rented it at Blockbuster uh, for people, so that that would yeah. make sense if that is the movie then. Right, Stander and Deliver, right? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds about right. Okay, um, moving on to question seven. Slaps the hood. You can fit so much art in this bad boy. In in November 2017, the world record for most expensive painting ever sold was shattered when da Vinci's painting Salvatore Mundi was sold during an auction. Within $50 million, I want you to tell me how much it sold for. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and lock in here. So, Jeff, I think we're probably looking north of $500 million, you think? Um, I don't think it was that high. That's a lot of money. Half a billion dollars for a painting. I mean, don't get me wrong. The number I had in mind was a hundred. It's a good ass painting, though. <laughs> the number I had in my head was one hundred and thirty-five million. So I don't think it's quite that high, but okay. Do you want to go like one seventy-five then, or one fifty maybe? One seventy-five gets us to two twenty-five. That's yeah. That's that's a good amount of money. You're a cheapskate. So, All right. So one seventy-five. So I'm gonna say one seventy-five. Yeah. Cheapskate. Yeah, Ken and I both had numbers. We split the difference. We locked in with three hundred and six million. Okay, so one team locking with three hundred six million, the other locking with you said one seventy five. Mm-hmm. So, actually, it sold for four hundred fifty point three million dollars. Oh. So I needed a range between four hundred point three and five hundred point three. I'm really glad no one said four hundred because I would have felt like a Jason Borsum 
DTQ or douchey trick question. <laughs> um, I was going to be, te- was gonna be technical there. Half, nearly half Jeff's, a billion Jeff's dollars. got shallow pockets. Jeff is the pawn stars of art dealers. It's like, how do I pick it up? I'll, uh, I'll take this for uh, $250 million. Look, the best I can do is $20,000. <laughs> All right. Question eight. The best worst Halloween costume. Children's author Dave Pilkey has been incredibly prolific, especially in the 1990s when most of his work was published. Most famously was this series that followed pranksters Harold and George through their adventures as they hypnotized their evil principal, turning him into the character for which the series was named. The books haven't all had a clean sheet, however, having been reported by the American Library Association to be the most frequently challenged books in 2012 and explicitly banned in some schools due to them quote, encouraging children to disobey authority. What is this book series? I think we're good to lock in. But um, speaking of Halloween, uh, you guys see that trailer for that Adam Sandler Halloween movie? That's, that's, uh, oh, oh yeah, Hugh, come on. <laughs> Hugh be Halloween or whatever. Yeah, see, the man turns in the best performance of his lifetime. You deny him the dignity of a nomination <laughs> and now he's doing voices again. <laughs> yeah. he's, he said, he said, if I don't uh, get nominated for an Oscar, I'm going to make the worst movie I've ever made. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> but he, he already made, made Jack, Jack and Jill. Jill. Wow, that was simultaneous right there. Wow. <laughs> Must have been bad. All right, we're elected. Yeah, I don't know. You can't think of any book series from when we were kids? You're... Oh, I, like I said, I read Goosebumps, but you're, I know it's You're Captain not... Underpants's or... If it, wasn't, if it wasn't a Narnia or a Goosebump, I was not interested. <laughs> uh, single Goosebump. For some reason, I like Captain Underpants. So let's just say Captain Underpants. I think Jeff's right, unfortunately. So both teams locking in with Captain Underpants? Yes. That is correct. That Captain makes, Underpants. That makes me feel good because that was going to be my guess. I'm glad you knew it, though, and you were sure. All right. Question nine. Amish children, according to Weird Al. Last time I hosted a show on Triviality, I asked about the difference between an omelet and frittata. Both teams got it right, so I'm rooting for you going into this one. Maybe this time we'll make it through without having to hear Neil's hummus omelet story again. For this question, I want to know about omelets specifically. What three ingredients are always used in a traditional French omelet? I think I have an in on this, and let me let me write down what it that is. So you want to lock in with those three? Yeah. Although the French also love their cheese, Ken. So well, these, I've been told. Know, je coupe le fromage. <laughs> okay, so we locked in with we get it. eggs, butter, and milk. All right, eggs, butter, and milk for them. I remember an episode of Chef Show on Netflix where he cooks an omelet for Wolfgang Puck, and I'm pretty sure all he puts in it is um, mushrooms. So that would make it butter, egg, and mushrooms, and then they just put a little chive on top. But we said butter, egg, and mushroom. Okay. Um, So unfortunately, no points. Based on my research, and I I looked this up a bunch um, just to make sure, so I looked at a bunch of different sources, but all you really need for a French omelet is eggs, butter, and salt. Mm-hmm. Um, the mushrooms, I mean, yeah, obviously you can put mushrooms and things. And I thought people might guess cheese as well, but, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty run of the mill. I would have accepted water as an ingredient cause you can sometimes add like a teaspoon of water Ooh, just yeah. to kind of make the eggs a bit yeah. lighter, but, um, but yeah, no, no milk necessary. And although I love mushrooms, but, um, <laughs> well, that's right. Doesn't, doesn't Wolfgang bring the mushrooms over? He's like, throw some of these he does. in here. Yeah. Wow. I think that's the first episode of that show. It's a great show. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, put some of these, these uh, morels. They're morels. Yeah. He's like, oh, we just picked these. Uh, they'll be great. I could watch um, Chef Show all day. Yeah, it's great. So I love it. Yeah. Question 10 and rounding out the second round. It's in the game. The year was 1972. The city was Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The setting was the AFC playoffs. Football history was made when Steelers running back Franco Harris caught a deflected pass inches above the ground and scored, resulting in a Pittsburgh victory. The play is now referred to as the Immaculate Reception and is widely regarded as one of the greatest, as well as controversial, plays in NFL history. On to which team befell the unfortunate fate of defeat during this unforgettable moment in sports? I think I, I have the correct answer. I'm going to be completely honest here with our friends, uh, Julia and Lauren at Miss Info. Their episode on this uh, historical fact is in my queue, ready to listen to, and uh, I have not listened to it yet, so I'm just going off my gut. So we're locking in. So the clue, the, the category being it's in the game, 
makes me think that this is potentially against coach John Madden, who coached, I believe, the Raiders at the time. So I'm going to guess that this was the Raiders. How does that sound, Jeff? I like it. Yeah, the Raiders sounds more correct. I don't know why I put this. I put the Browns for some reason, but that's what we liked in with. Okay, so Burning Bones locking with the Browns and Through the Fire and the Flames locking in with the Raiders. Points going towards Through the Fire and the Flames, although the Steelers do have a longtime rivalry with Cleveland Browns. Uh, the question or the team in question here was the Oakland Raiders, and Matt picked up on the clue. That was actually the first. I've pretty much had a clue in every category so far, and uh, I mean, save the best for last, I guess, to. <laughs> On it, but finally got one. Um, no, that was, but that's exactly right. Uh, John Madden was the coach at the time, yeah. and um, Oakland Raiders. All right, rounding out round two, uh, the Burning Bones picking up 10 in the second half there, and through the Fire and the Flames picking up an additional 20, bringing through the Fire and the Flames to a score of 160, and Burning Bones to a score of 143. Before we throw to Taylor for these final five categories, uh, join him and uh, a bunch of other listeners over at The Crop on Facebook. Or if you'd like to hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at TrivialityPod to get all of your triviality juice. <laughs> we, are, we are now in the produce game. As a Patreon supporter, I must say that I am a big fan of triviality juice. Um <laughs> Comes in at the uh, the lowest level. No GMO. One dollar. What did you used to say, Matt? One dollar a day. Support us. Dollar a day. So for the final round, you thought you were safe. Triviality from dentistry. You may or may not have noticed that I haven't asked a single dentistry adjacent question the entire game so far. That's just because I was saving the crest for last. So power up those water picks and call your hygienist because we're going straight dental on this one. By the end, your gums might be bleeding, but that's probably just your fault for not flossing enough. All right. So for the for the question categories, question one will be Suddenly Seymour, the musical and movie. Question two will be You're My Hero, Charlie Day. Question three, Playing Jazz in People's Mouths. Question four, Punchy Teethy. And question five, Endodonics. I like these callbacks. This makes me very happy. I feel very nostalgic for the early days of our show where we thought Punchy Teethy was a good episode title. It was the best. <laughs> Still my favorite episode title. <laughs> all the wagers are locked in. So uh, everybody's going 20 all the way down. So let's get the questions. All right. Question one in the category of Suddenly Seymour, the musical and movie. One of the most famous dental scenes in movie history comes from Steve Martin's portrayal of Oren Scrivello, DDS, the sadistic, abusive, and nitrous-addicted boyfriend of Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Honestly, not a great look for dentists in general, but I digress. What composer wrote the song Dentist along with all the other songs in the Broadway and film version of Little Shop? He may just be the happiest composer on earth. Question two, you're my hero, Charlie Day. In Horrible Bosses, one of the main plot points is that Charlie Day's character, a dental assistant, is being constantly sexually harassed and assaulted by the dentist he works for, played by Jennifer Aniston. Speaking of uncouth dental adjacency, what company coined the term halitosis in 1920, which led to a massive boom in sales of their product? Question three, playing jazz in people's mouths. Episode 110 of Triviality and my Triviality debut was titled Playing Jazz in People's Mouths. The title was a reference to old-timey dentistry in the Wild West when very little science was involved in treatment. Speaking of music and science, however, what royally famous musician earned a PhD in astrophysics in 2008, some 38 years after initiating their doctoral research? Question four, Punchy Teethy. Episode 75 of Triviality was entitled Punchy Teethy, one of my favorite episode titles to date. Dental trauma is one of the most common injuries in sports, be it from punches, elbows, hockey pucks, hockey sticks, or really just anything hockey-related. However, despite having nothing to do with hockey as a sport, what professional basketball player has their own line of Under Armour athletic mouthguards? And question five, endodontics. As an endodontic specialist myself, I'd be remiss not to include a question about my own field of work. What term can be generally defined as a soft, wet, shapeless mass of material is also used to describe the vascular, lymphatic, and nervous supply to a tooth? Ken. <laughs> you are soft, wet, and shapeless. Yeah. 
All right, we will consider these answers and we'll be back. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. All right, looks like both teams are all locked in um, for the final round. All right, question one, suddenly Seymour. What was the name of that composer uh, who composed the songs in the Broadway and film version of Little Shop of Horrors? Yep, uh, as Ken said, uh, we went 20 all the way down, and we locked in with a notable Disney composer, Alan Menken. Yeah, we wagered 20. Um Kind of thought that we got the Disney clue there and then couldn't get anywhere, so we just thought of somebody happy and said Pharrell Williams. All right. Well, uh, Burning Bones is picking up 20 points there. Uh, It is Alan Menken. Question two, you're my hero, Charlie Day. So what was the name of the company that coined the term halitosis in 1920, which led to a massive boom in sales of their product? Uh, This one, uh, we we locked in with a... Uh, workshop version of uh, the Bush song Listerine. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, after uh, thinking about uh, the revolution that was Joseph Lister, we said Listerine. All right, both teams uh, picking up 20 points there with Listerine. Um, Listerine, I think, was originally kind of just an all-purpose household cleaner. Um and yeah, for marketing reasons, they came up with halitosis, which I think loosely in Greek pretty much just means bad disease hmm. um, and started telling people that they had bad breath and uh, everyone started buying Listerine to clean their mouths. Question three, playing jazz in people's mouths. So speaking of music and science, what royally famous musician earned a PhD in astrophysics in 2008, some 38 years after initiating their doctoral research? Well, uh, tonight we're going to have ourselves a real good time because we knew this was Brian May. Yeah, we also happen to know that of Queen fame, this was Brian May. All right, and Brian May is correct. And I think that, I don't remember exactly the field it was in, but it was in something that was kind of a fad at the time, and no one else did anything on it, so his research was still kind of novel. Well, Like, even 40 years later, because it wasn't really uh, that popularized. Hmm. Kind of lucked out then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Question four. Punchy teethy. Um, despite having nothing to do with hockey, what professional basketball player has their own line of Under Armour athletic mouth guards? This one, uh, we weren't certain, but uh, we used our logic of uh, NBA players who have Under Armour contracts and who also always have a mouth guard either in their mouth, out of their mouth, holding it in their hand, or playing with it. And we went St- Steph Curry. It's pretty much the face of Under Armour Athletics, and uh, he's, yep, always chewing on those mouth guards. It's Steph Curry. Steph Curry is correct. And final question, which could just decide it. Endodontics. What is that term? Generally defined as a soft, wet, shapeless mass of material, and also the vascular, lymphatic, and nervous supply to a tooth. Sounds stupid, but we just said blob because we had no idea. Well, for me, that sounds like fiction because I think the answer is pulp. <laughs> and the answer is the dental pulp or just pulp. And I get the groans. Exciting. Did you have an in on that question or 
Was there a clue that we missed? We just both thought it was pulp. Ken is Ken is giving Jeff the Larry David uh, quizzical the quizzical eye. Like, all right. So we so we both picked up sixty there. Yep. Both teams picking up sixty points. Burning Bones finishing with a total of two hundred three points. But through the fire and the flames, picking up sixty to be today's cream of the crop with two hundred and twenty points. Odd balance, off balance, doesn't matter. I'm better than you are. Doctor, doctor. Doctor, I doctor. concur. Doctor, doctor, uh, doctor. Great game, guys, and a great game, Taylor. Hey, thanks. I had a lot of fun writing that one. Now, Taylor, uh, can people come visit you at your new uh, practice, or would you prefer they do not? Because we can give people a code, which is when your mouth is open, say triviality, to get ten percent <laughs> off. But we don't know if that'll work. So, well, I mean, if you are in the uh, if you are in the Pittsburgh area and you need a root canal, um, yeah, you can. Be referred to Precision Endodontics. Um, we're in the Pittsburgh area, so. Because when you're in the position of needing a root canal, you want to be in good hands. Of course, yeah. And as I like to tell people, you know, anytime ever, anytime anyone ever finds out what I do for a living, they go, "Oh, that's awful! I can't even imagine doing that." And I say, "Well, you know, I hope I never have to see you, but <laughs> if you do need me, I'll be here." There you go. So. Now that is a great, uh, great quote there to put on your business card. Uh, well, thank you for writing this game and for also wearing a five timers jacket uh, with an aluminum five on there, which is just great because you are still, I believe, Triviality's best dressed host. <laughs> Always will. Well, be. Thank you. And uh, thank since, you, thank since you. you brought us into this game, do you want to take us out? Okay, and that'll wrap it up for today's episode. Um, for Jeff, Neil, Ken, and Matt, this is Taylor, and uh, that was Triviality. JG Wentworth, cash now. <laughs> I don't know. I just, maybe, it'd be so great if he was the spokesperson. Gosh, it's a prince of Dixon.